Hello. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Adam. So what's going on, Adam? This isn't your chosen story. I don't know what's going on, Matt. It's it's confusing and scary. Why <laughs> why are we not going with the with the expected story? Where has this one come from? I think the idea is why not start the year in style with a big one, which is Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots. I have been, ever since you first mentioned this, been so excited about this one. Oh, I'm so glad. I know you love a cat. I, I love a good cat. And this is a whole cat story. So when you think Puss in Boots, you might not necessarily think Brothers Grimm immediately. Might not pop in your head. No. You might think Christmas Panto. But who'd have thought Puss in Boots was at one point a Brothers Grimm fairy tale? No way. Shut way. the front door, please. In their first ever fairy tale publication, they had the story Puss in Boots. But then when they revised and edited it after initial publication, they erased Puss in Boots. Guys, what were you thinking? So it is technically no longer an official Brothers Grimm fairy tale. But that's not going to stop us, Adam. No, oh no. Shall we hear the Brothers Grimm Puss in Boots? I think let's get on with the episode. Let's go. Hello there, and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a Brothers Grimm tale. My name is Matthew Hughes, and with me on this journey is my co-host, Mr. Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading. Puss in Boots. So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a... A miller had three sons, his mill, a donkey, and a cat. The sons worked the mill, the donkey fetched the grain and carried away the flour, and the cat caught mice. Oh, good. That's good. They've all got a a roll. Three sons, donkey, and a cat, and they're all kind of doing a job. When the miller died, the three sons divided the inheritance. The oldest received the mill, the second the donkey, and the third the cat, for nothing else was left for him. Sadly, he said to himself, I got the worst of everything. My oldest brother can grind grain. My second one can ride his donkey. But what can I do with a cat? If I have a pair of fur gloves made from his pelt, then there'll be nothing left. Listen, mate, you are not going to touch that cat. (laughs) Hey, you're onto it. Listen, said the cat, who had understood everything he had said. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) It's a talking cat. (laughs) Don't kill me just to get a pair of inferior gloves from my pelt. Instead, have a pair of boots made for me so that I can go out and be seen by the people. Then I can come to your aid. Meow. Wow. I don't even understand that plan, but it's like instead of making gloves from me, buy me boots. The miller's son was amazed that the cat could thusly speak. Now, the cobbler just happened to be passing by. So he called him in and had him measure the cat for a pair of boots. Oh, imagine that. Imagine that meeting. Can you just come and measure my cat? (laughs) When they were finished, the cat pulled them on, took a sack with some grain in the bottom and a string with which it could be tied shut, threw it over his shoulder and walked out the door on two legs, just like a human. Whoa, clever cat. Well, it didn't just chase the string (laughs) down the street. No, he's better than that. This is Puss in Boots, sir. <laughs> Saying any old Don't cat. underestimate him. <laughs> now, okay, this, I'm going to give you some political context, okay? Okay. The ruler in the land at that time was a king who loved partridges. 
<laughs> However, none were to be had. No. It's a nightmare. What? He loves them, but he can't get them. A cruel twist in irony. Like, he loves partridge, and that's the one thing he can't get. That's terrible. Just to make it worse, though, Adam, the woods were full of them, but they were so wary that no hunter could get near them. Ah. Uh. The cat knew this and worked out a solution. Arriving in the woods, he opened the sack, spread out the grain inside it, then laid the string in the grass, leading it behind a thicket. Then he hid himself, crept into the thicket, and watched. And one after the other hopped into the sack. When a good number were inside, the cat pulled the string shut, ran up, and rang the partridge's necks. Then threw the sack over Whoa. his shoulder and went straight away to the king's palace. Wow, he doesn't mess around. The guards at the king's palace shouted, Stop! Where to? To the king, answered the cat. Are you crazy? A cat going to the king? Oh, just, just let him go, said another guard. The king is often bored. Perhaps the cat can entertain him with his tricks. So the cat's through. Past the guards. Excellent. The cat approached the king, bowed politely, and said, My master, Count, brackets, and here he said a long and very distinguished name, close brackets. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't, the story doesn't know what the name was. Brilliant. Extends his greetings to his majesty, the king, and sends him these partridges, which he captured with snares. The king was amazed to see such fine, fat partridges, and hardly knew how to contain his joy. Amazing. He ordered the cat to take as much gold from the treasury as he could carry in his sack, then said, Take it to your master and thank him many times for his gift. Excellent. Now, the poor miller's son was at home, sitting at the window with his head in his hands. He'd given everything he had for the cat's boots, and now he wondered what he might get in return. Yeah, he's probably thinking, he's probably got that sort of sinking feeling in his gut, like, did I really just do that with my last bit of money? Like, <laughs> Did I actually just make my cat a pair of boots? What was I thinking? <laughs> I don't have any money. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> but just then, Adam, the cat stepped inside, threw the sack from his back, untied the string, and spread the gold out in front of the miller. Here is something for the boots. The king sends you his greetings and his thanks. The miller was delighted with the wealth, although he could not understand from where it had come. While the cat was then taking his boots off, he explained everything to him, and added, You now have plenty of money, but that's not enough. Tomorrow I'll put my boots on again, and you shall become even more wealthy. I told the king that your account... The next day, just as he said he would, the cat, appropriately booted, went hunting again and took the captured game to the king. Thus it continued every day, and every day the cat returned home with more gold. He was now so favoured by the king that he allowed him to come and go as he pleased and to prowl around the palace wherever he wanted to. Wow. So he's now, you know, the toast of the high society. Absolutely, yeah. He's wormed his way into the court. <laughs> this is a jammy cat. Why did no humans figure out this trap? It's quite a simple trap. Yeah, yeah. The king sent out his finest huntsman. They're like, sorry, no can do. Can't figure it out. This one can't do it. One cat, one foxy cat in some boots. Oh, interesting you should say foxy cat. Oh. Pocket that. We'll untie that little gem later. Okay, put a pin in that. So the cat is now best friends with the king and can do what he likes. One time, the cat was warming himself by the fire in the king's birchen when the coachman came in cursing. To the devil with the king and the princess! I wanted to go to the tavern for a drink and some card playing, but now I have to drive them to the lake. After hearing this, the cat sneaked home and said to his master, 
If you want to become a wealthy count, come with me to the lake and go bathing there. So you see what's going on. So the coachman's come in while the cat was just chilling and he's gone like, oh, Blumen yeah. King and the princess want to go to the lake and I just want to go to the pub. And the cat's gone, bing, okay, you've got a plan. Did he come in and complain to the cat? And the cat was like, oh, yeah, that's annoying. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Uh, what are they like, eh? Ugh, tell me about it. Uh, anyway, see you later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, I got the plan. He's, yeah, he's told the... He said, if you want to be wealthy, come with me to the lake and go bathing. Nice. And the guy just goes along with this. Well, the miller did not know what he should say to this, but he obeyed the cat, went with him to the lake, took off all his clothes and jumped into the water. The cat then picked up the clothes, carried them away and hid them. What? It's just a prank. It's just a prank. <laughs> what are you going to do now? You've been pranked by the cat. <laughs> did you say pranked? Yeah. You've been pranked. Pranked. The cat had scarcely done this when the king came riding by. The cat then cried out pitifully. Oh, your majesty, my master was bathing here in the lake when a thief came and stole his clothes that were lying here on the shore. Now the count cannot come out of the water. If he stays there any longer, he'll catch a cold and die. Hearing this, the king came to a stop and sent one of his people back to fetch some of the king's clothes. The count then put on these splendid clothes... And because the king already favoured him because of the partridges, he invited him into the royal carriage and spoke to him in familiar terms. The princess had nothing against this, for the count was young and good-looking, and she quite liked him. Wow, and presumably she'd, well, seen him <laughs> get out of the water. So, basically, because he's poor, all his clothes were raggedy, so he's now found a way to get the fancy clothes. Honestly... A brilliant plan right. by the cat. It's worked flawlessly. Yeah, I mean, he's he's found a way to not only get him great clothes, but get him to meet the king before the king has a chance to see him in his old clothes. Like, it's just sorts it right out. It's great. What a clever cat. So the boy is now in the carriage with the king and the princess. Now the cat had run on ahead and had arrived at a great meadow where more than a hundred people were making hay. Whose meadow is this? asked the cat. It belongs to the great sorcerer, said the people. <laughs> what? Listen, the king will soon come this way. And when he asks whose meadow this is, you must answer, it belongs to the count. If you do not do this, you'll all be killed. By With that, who? the cat went on further. He didn't say a word more. He's off. And he then came to a field of grain so large that no one could see its end. More than 200 people were there cutting the grain. Who owns this grain, you people? The sorcerer. Listen, the king will soon come this way, and when he asks whose grain this is, you must answer, it belongs to the count. If you do not do this, you'll all be killed. Finally, the cat came to a magnificent forest. More than 300 people were there felling the great oak trees and making lumber. Who owns this forest, you people? The sorcerer! Listen, the king will come this way soon, and when he asks whose forest this is, you must answer, it belongs to the count. If you do not do this, you'll all be killed. The cat continued on further. Everyone stared at him because he looked so unusual, walking along in his boots like a human, and they were afraid of him. Soon, he arrived at the Sorcerer's Palace. Uh-oh. Who owns this palace? <laughs> Me? He stepped boldly inside and walked straight up to the Sorcerer, who looked at him scornfully. Whoa. What do you want? The cat bowed politely and said, 
I have heard you can transform yourself any way that you please. I can well believe that you could transform yourself into an animal, such as a dog or fox or even a wolf. But it seems to me that to transform yourself into an elephant would be quite impossible. I've come to see if you can do so. The sorcerer said proudly, That's nothing for me! And he instantly transformed himself into an elephant. Oh! <laughs> Show up. That's so weird. What's the... What's, I ju- I'm so excited <laughs> to see what the end game is here. The cat pretended to be frightened and said, That is unbelievable and unheard of. I would never have dreamed that you could do this. But even more difficult would be to transform yourself into a small animal, such as a mouse. Ah, I see. You are certainly more powerful than any sorcerer in the world, but that would be too much for you. The sweet talk turned the sorcerer very friendly, and he said, Oh yes, my dear little cat, I can do that too. Then, suddenly, he was jumping around the room as a mouse. The cat ran after him, caught him with one leap, and ate him up. Meanwhile, the king had ridden along further with the count and the princess coming to the great meadow. Who owns this hay? asked the king. (laughs) That's a weird sentence. (laughs) Who owns this hay? Why is is he asking that as well? (laughs) Who owns this hay? The count! They all shouted, just as the cat had ordered them to do. Oh, you have a beautiful piece of land here, Lord Count, said the king, because he thinks it's the, the miller's son. Yeah, and the guy's, like, having to play along, like, think on his feet. Uh, uh, yeah, uh thank you. Um, oh. yeah, yes, it's a lot of hay, it's all mine. <laughs> then they came to the great field of grain. Who owns this grain, you people? The Lord Count. Yes, Lord Count, you have a wonderful farm here. Then they came to the forest. Who owns this forest, you people? The Lord Count. The king was all the more amazed and said, Lord Count, you must be a very wealthy man. I do not believe that I myself have such a magnificent forest. Finally, they arrived at the palace of the sorcerer. The cat was standing on the steps, and when the carriage came to a stop, he jumped down, opened the door, and said, Your Majesty, you have arrived at the palace of my master, the Count, and this honor will make him happy as long as he lives. The king climbed out of the carriage and marveled at the magnificent building. It was almost larger and more beautiful than his own castle. The count then led the princess up the stairway and into the main hall that shimmered with gold and precious stones. Then the princess and the count were married, and when the king died, the count became king with Puss in Boots as his prime minister. The end. with Puss in Boots becoming <laughs> Prime Minister. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> I could not have seen that coming in a million years. That's fantastic. I did not realise Puss in Boots held political office. The last words of that story are Prime Minister. <laughs> the end. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. It's really a biography of his, his political career. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. What an amazing story. So you liked it? I thoroughly enjoyed that. I'm so glad. I really enjoyed that. I mean, for so many reasons as well. Like, 
the obvious one being it's a whole story that centers around a cat and everyone will know I, I love cats everyone I just knows love cats they're great but more than that it's such a great narrative that feels very different to what anything we've had before mm-hmm. you know the cats schemes are actually very clever like if you were to write a script and you came up with those plot devices you'd be very happy with that that's clever stuff totally 100% agree we have had like a hero being helped by a, a magical creature right that's quite a common yeah. part of fairy tales you've got a hero magical helper comes and then helps them whatever become king but often it's just, you know, they just use some inexplicable magic. Or like you had the, the golden goose where he's got the sticky goose, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. But this is actually like genuinely clever what the cat does. Yeah. I mean, maybe the partridges is a bit weird. But after, <laughs> but weird. after that, he, um, the whole thing where he's swimming in the water and he takes away the clothes. That's genius. Running ahead to say, you know, say that it belongs to the count. And then tricking the sorcerer into turning himself into a mouse. It's just yeah. amazing. I mean, I'd put that up there with, like, Hansel and Gretel, like, pushing the witch in the oven. That kind of trickery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? It really is. I mean, that cat is just sorting out everything. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. So, it, he is playing this magical helper role. But normally, that's, like, a, a side character. Like, it has a little cameo. Yeah. But in this one, like, you've taken that character and you've put him center stage. Yeah, he is the hero. He's the protagonist, really. He's just like, make me a pair of boots and I'll sort it out. <laughs> and the, the, the Miller's son that got the cat, all he did was complain about having the cat. Yeah, that's and true. That's, and that's it. And then the cat just sorted everything out. I'll be honest, I don't think he deserves the cat. What has he done? What has he done? All he did was moan and then sit back while the cat did everything. I, I think you're right, yeah. You're right. I mean, the reason that you're on his side is because he's poor and he becomes rich. I mean, if he was like rich already and it was just a story of just him getting more rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't work. (laughs) You wouldn't like it. He's an underdog and that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. And I love how the cat, as well as being clever, it really does feel like you kind of mentioned it in there. Like he's kind of politicking. He's like in court. Yeah. In court and he's worming his way to the top of court. And he ends up as prime minister. Now, if that's not an old feline-based fairy tale version of House of Cards, I don't know what is. He's ruthless. He's utterly ruthless. And is he... Okay, so is he called Puss, then? Oh, is he called Puss in Boots? Well, this is it, because it doesn't mention that. I mean, we know he's a cat and he wears boots, but where's, where's the old Puss in Boots come from? Well, we'll be finding that out shortly, Adam. Hey, we will be... Excellent. Don't get ahead of yourself, Adam. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 just chill. Just chill. Take it slowly. I'll be taking you on a little uh, little journey of Puss in Boots shortly. A little history of Puss in Boots. Fantastic. That's coming. I mean, the, the other... I suppose perhaps something that might stand out to some people is that there's no real moral in the story. And arguably, mm. it's quite amoral. Right. He's like an anti-hero. He uses trickery, lies, deception, savvy, skullduggery. He's like a top con man, basically. He's just lying his way through to help the poor Millicent. To the top. Yeah. And that has troubled some observers, I think, especially if you go back in time. Sure. George Cruikshank, who illustrated 
the very first Brothers Grimm translation in English. He later wrote some versions of fairy tales and, and about Puss in Boots, he's quoted as saying, this is in the 1800s. Uh-huh. He refers to Puss in Boots as a succession of successful falsehoods, a clever lesson in lying, a system of imposture rewarded with the greatest worldly advantages. And he actually rewrote parts of the story because to some early observers, it's like this is actually almost encouraging criminality. What, so he rewrote it in a more moralistic I way? I think the way he kind of fixed it was he'd made it so that the guy the cat's helping was actually the original owner of the castle and the sorcerer had stolen it from him. Right, so he's getting him back to where he should be, what's rightfully his. In the way we've read it, it's like a story of social mobility. But I suppose in an old-fashioned Victorian society, it's like, oh, no, 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 he was already at that station in life. Yeah. And now he's back where he was. Yeah, back where he should be. Because it's not like a, it's not a meritocracy, this story. It's not like through your ability that you get ahead or your moral fortitude. It's more like you beat, you're beating the higher classes at their own game rather than like through your virtue getting ahead. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Playing the system. It's good, isn't it? I I get the feeling you enjoyed it. I mean, it's no secret. That was a fantastic story. Awesome. So in in German, the story mm-hmm. was called Der Gestifelterkater. Wow. Excuse me. Der Gestifelterkater. Der which I, I can only find a translation as Puss in Boots, so I don't quite know what it means. I guess it means the cat in boots. Okay. It was position 33. It was story number 33. Right. But as mentioned, they erased it, and yeah. position 33 was replaced with the three languages. Oh. The source for the story was Jeanette Hassenflug from the Hassenflug family, one of the major sources of stories. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, Puss in Boots, as an oral folktale, is found all over the world. Okay. And, shockingly, he's not always a cat. What? This is an outrage. There are versions of Puss in Boots that have been recorded by folklorists from Siberia to India, Indonesia, and in European versions of the story. So, when you find a Puss in Boots oral folktale in Europe, Mm -hmm. the Puss in Boots character is sometimes a cat, but often a fox as well. Interesting. And it's funny, you mentioned uh, he was being foxy. Fox, foxy cat. Yeah, because fox obviously being synonymous with, uh, with cunning, mm. and cats kind of have that sort of stereotype too. So I guess it makes sense that it, you know, that role falls to either one yeah, of those animals. Yeah, it's interesting. So that's in Europe, it's a cat or a fox. Okay. Outside of Europe, it's another animal. In um, South Asia, in this a South Asian version, mm-hmm. it's a jackal who helps the hero. Okay. The Philippine version, it's a monkey. And there's a Swahili version where it's a gazelle. Oh, wow. So that's a little bit on Puss in Boots as a folktale character. There are many different versions of Puss in Boots through the oral tradition where he comes in many different forms. Sure. Now, for the rest of the episode, Adam, we're going to take a look at the history of this story as a literary work, and we'll see how it developed into the Puss in Boots that you just heard. Okay. 
Now, Puss in Boots was first written down 500 years ago. So we're going to start there and work our way back to the present day. That sounds great. So we're going quite far back then. What's that 500 years ago, the 1500s? 15, around 1550 we're going back to. Okay, fantastic. Um, but first of all, just as a little recap, in the most simplistic terms, there is a distinction between folklore as an oral tradition of storytelling, like around the fire or whatnot, and then there are fairy tale books that were written by like educated, usually men, sometimes women. Yeah. And those sort of fairy tale books would take the oral tales and then zhuzh them up kind of unabashedly. Sure. And it was the Brothers Grimm who brought into vogue the idea of capturing the voice of the oral folktale to, to cap right. capture the voice of the people. So loosely, you can kind of say folklore is organic storytelling and fairy tales are authored. But there is a crossover. So we're going to look at um, Puss in Boots as a kind of authored tale. Yes. No, I'm with you. I'm cool. with you. So the story of Puss in Boots appeared in three of the landmark European fairy tale books prior to the Grimm's. Ooh, and we're going to okay. go through them now and I'll show you how Puss in Boots evolved. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you each story kind of like we did in Sleeping Beauty. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Because they are essentially the same, but I'm going to give you the key differences. So these are uh, the three big sort of mm. fairy tale collections pre-Grim. Yes, indeed, sir. So I'm expecting Basile. You won't be disappointed. Excellent. <laughs> I'm expecting, what's his chops? The Frenchman, but I can't remember his name. Charles Poirot. Charles Perrault. He'll be popping up. Okay. You're going to make a punt for the third one? I've, I'm lost with the third one. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to start there. So, as I say, the journey of Puss in Boots as a, as a written story starts with the very first ever published fairy tale book in Europe, The Facetious Knights of Straparola. I'd like to invite you, Adam, to look around you. Lovely canals. There's uh, some people wearing masks and ball gowns. They're punting around in a gondola. Sounds lovely. Welcome to Venice. Oh, hello. 1550. Wow. How did we get here? <laughs> By gondola, probably. <laughs> We're story time travelling, Adam. Down the literary canal. If you just pop into that bookshop over there, you could pick yourself up a copy of a brand new bestseller, what will become known as the first ever fairy tale book, The Facetious Knights of Straparola, Written by Giovanni Francesco Straparola. And one story in it is titled Costantino Fortunato. Or you could translate to Lucky Costantine. And that's the name of the first ever Puss in Boots. Wow. It appears way back in the very first ever fairy tale book from 1550. So my first question here would be, is it a cat in this one? It is a cat. Fantastic. It's actually basically exactly the same story, but there's a few key differences. So, okay. one, it's set in Bohemia. Why not? Right. It is a cat, but the cat is described as a fairy in disguise. Oh, okay. So it, that explains the magicalness of the cat. Indeed, exactly. Okay. The cat is a female, Ooh. and the cat calls her master Costantino. So in this one, it gives the name rather than brackets, insert name here. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And that's uh, and it's that Constantino that's lucky. Yeah. Lucky Constantino. Per the title. Exactly. Right. Now the main difference is that there is no sorcerer in the castle at the end. Okay. So it all happens exactly the same until right at the end, it's just a weak castle with a small troop of soldiers. So that, that, those are the key differences, and also right. crucially, there's no mention of boots. It just says a cat. Incredibly, the first ever person boots. No boots. Just a cat. No boots. Okay, so it's the story starting to take shape, but not quite yet. Indeed. Well, now we have blasted 80 years into the future, Adam. Take a look around. Still lots of lovely grand buildings and palaces, but it's a little more rowdy. Oh, okay. If you look over there, there's a gigantic smoking volcano. Oh, yeah. Whoa. We're only in Naples, 1634. No way. Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> All right, let's have... After your pizza... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pizza first. All right, let's grab a pizza. Right, okay. okay. But on your way, I'll, I'll remind you that in 1634, um, a certain Giambattista Basile published hey. The Pentamarone, a.k.a. The yes. Tale of Tales. In The Tale of Tales, you'll find a story called Galluso, which I've also seen translated as Pippo, which is a version of Puss in Boots. Mm -hmm. So it's a similar deal. But crucially, it doesn't end happily ever after. It contains an expanded alternate end sequence with a big twist. Whoa, I like the sound of that. <laughs> so, key difference is, this one takes place in Naples. Yep. Again, the cat is female. The cat calls the master Pipo. Pipo? Yeah. And the cat remains unnamed. But there is a little bit of uh, familiar Basile flair. Um, he refers to the cat as Pretty Puss and... Her pussy ship, which I quite love. <laughs> her pussy ship. Her pussy ship. And what would you like to eat this evening, your pussy ship? That's amazing. And, of course, it has an alternate ending. So, the standard story finishes. Okay. Credits roll, happily ever after. And then we fade back up from black. Uh-oh. Peepo and the princess are living in wealth and luxury with the cat. Her pussy ship. Her pussy ship, yeah. One day, they're just chilling. Peepo says to the cat, listen, cat, you've done me a solid. Help yourself to any of my wealth. And when you die, I'm going to have you embalmed and put in a golden coffin and displayed in my bedroom so that I'll never what? forget you. That's how grateful I am for everything you've done for me. Started off lovely. Have anything you want when you die. Uh, uh, whoa, hold on. <laughs> but the cat wants to put this to the test. <laughs> so she pretends to be dead. What? At which point the princess wife says, oh, Peepo, that cat's dead. What should we do with it? And Peepo says, I'll just throw her out the window. What? Peepo? Peepo, no. <laughs> That's terrible. Bad Peepo. <laughs> um, the cat springs up and goes ballistic at them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to translate what you just said there, Adam. So <laughs> yeah, please do. Here's the I'm going to do an abridged ending because we know how <laughs> verbose Basile is. So yeah. here's an abridged ending of the cat going mental. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> I've basically taken out every other word. <laughs> <laughs> A cat going off on one in some very angry Italian. Yeah. Is this the return you make for my taking you from beggary? 
Is this my reward for having put good clothes on your back when you were a poor, starved, miserable, tattershawed ragamuffin? A curse upon all I have done for you. A fine gold coffin you have prepared for me. A fine funeral you are going to give me. Unhappy is he who does a good deed in hope of a return. Well said was it by the philosopher. He who lies down an ass, an ass he finds himself. <laughs> but let him who does most expect least. Smooth words and ill deeds deceive alike both fools and wise. So saying, she drew her cloak about her and went away. All that Peepo, with the utmost humility, could do to soothe her was of no avail. She would not return, but ran on and on without ever turning around, saying, Heaven keep me from the rich grown poor, and from the beggar who of wealth gains store. <laughs> Whoa. So that is, uh, that's the end of uh, Basile's Puss in Boots. Her pussy ship was getting, like, really deep there. Yeah. He who lies down an ass, an ass he finds himself. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to say I understand that, but I don't. I lay down an ass, so I was treated like an ass. You know, I acted a certain way and you treated me that way. Right. Basically, the relationship breaks down between the cat and the main mm -hmm. character. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, totally changes the story. Mm. And interestingly, a lot of the oral folktale versions have that coda as well. Okay. So, it, so if our story is about sort of, you know... A poor guy finding his way into the upper classes, right? Yeah. This story, though, instead is one about... It, it ends with him saying, Heaven keep me from the rich grown poor and from the beggar who of wealth gains store. So it kind of completely changes the, the emphasis of the story, I felt. Interesting. Yeah. Just, so what, keep me from the rich grown poor. Yeah. Heaven help me from the rich who get poor and from the poor who get rich. Right, okay. Almost like saying you should be at your station in life. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the the thing with the, the story, obviously, the Brothers Grimm story that you read. The cat and, and the miller's son are in perfect alignment, mm -hmm. and you sort of yeah. root for both of them as one unit. But clearly here, there's a split at the end. Yeah. And really, the, the audience are going to uh, continue to root for the cat, mm. aren't they, over mm -hmm. the... Yeah. The person. So that's really who people are rooting for, is the cat. Uh, in the Brothers Grimm one as well, you mean? Yeah. 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 But it does give a kind of completely different ending to the story and a different emphasis on what the yeah, story no, is about. Yeah, no, completely. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Go Basile. Always a surprise. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Okay, well, moving on from there. It's been lovely. Have you had your pizza? Have you had your pizza? Uh, I've enjoyed that. That's great. All right, great. Where are we going to next? Well, we're off again. 65 years in the future. Oh. There's an accordion playing. Oh, lovely. Lots of very well-dressed gentlemen and ladies with curly wigs. Some lovely cafes and patisseries. Oh, this sounds lovely. Where could we be? Welcome to Paris. Paris, of course. 1697. Oh, lovely. The year that a very influential fairy tale book was published... Histoire ou conte du tempas avec des moralites, stories or tales from pastimes with morals by Charles Perrault. Perrault, of course. Who you were, you guessed. Yep. In his book is a story called Le Maître Chat ou Le Chatbot. Chatbot. Le Chatbot. 
Isn't that someone who helped me with like my online purchase recently? The old chatbot. Le chatbot. <laughs> Le chatbot. Le chatbot. No, it doesn't translate as the chatbot. It's um. <laughs> Le chatbot. Bonjour. You're booking your Eurostar tickets <laughs> with Le chatbot. Oh what, what does that translate to? What's what's going on here? The master cat or puss in boots. Le chatbot, the booted cat. <laughs> the booted cat. Now, Perot created the definitive puss in boots. Uh-huh. He adds three beautiful ingredients into the mix, Adam. He chucks in the sorcerer. Ah, I see. In his, right. in his case, it's an, actually an ogre, but he, you know, he adds that last little bit. Uh-huh. He adds the boots. And the reason being in his story is so that the cat can walk through brambles when trapping game at the beginning. Oh, so they've got a very practical purpose. Yeah. It's not just to make him look fancy as he's going about his cat business. Oh, interesting. And therefore, he also gives the cat its famous soubriquet, Puss in Boots. Fantastic. That's where it comes from. Because pre... So it comes from Perot. Before 1697, before Perot, it was just a cat. And he added the boots. And, you know, how many of those elements were from genuine folk stories that Perot knew or were just from his own imagination, mm. we'll never know. Uh, yeah, sure. But kind of Puss in Boots becomes Puss in Boots that we know then with Perot. Yeah, and actually the, they're pretty key ingredients, I'd say. It wouldn't be half the story without that. It really helps to stick in your mind. The idea, it like really giving does. it that kind of signature, the signature boots. Yeah. It turns the cat from just being like a kind of magic cat into a character. Like an iconic character, yeah. And the cat in this one decides to call the son the Marquis of Carabas. So we've got the Marquis of Carabas, Lucky Costatino and Pipo. <laughs> <laughs> So Perot's one is essentially exactly the same as the Grimm's story, but it's just slightly more flamboyant in its telling. Yeah, as you would expect. And he also shoehorns in two morals at the end as well. Oh, uh, morals, yes, please. So according to Perot, the moral of this tale. Although the benefits are great for one who owns a large estate because he is his father's son, Young men, when all is said and done, will find sharp wits and common sense worth more than an inheritance. <laughs> <laughs> it rhymed. I love morals, and I love morals that rhyme. That's even better. And the second moral, if the son of a miller in ten minutes or less can take a girl's fancy and make a princess look longingly at him, it proves an old truth that elegant clothes on a good-looking youth can play a distinctly significant part in winning the love of a feminine heart. Adam's Sorry. face, not impressed. The moral is dress well. Is that the moral? Well, there's Put two on some morals. Clothes, some nice clothes. The first moral is, uh, you know, sharp wits and common sense are worth more than an inheritance. Yeah. And the second moral is, good-looking clothes on a good-looking youth can play a very important part in uh, making a girl fall in love with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a good-looking bloke and you've got nice clothes on, you stand a better chance of attracting... I mean, yeah. thanks, bro. I mean, I love the fact I love the fact they've got morals, but the thing that disappoints me is that there's a conspicuous absence in those morals. Is there maybe a key player in the stories that actually did most of the heavy the lifting that's not even featured? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Talking about a bloke dressing nice. Hello, the cat. Uh, hello. <laughs> it's been forgetting someone. I've even got boots now. 
<laughs> I think it's it's interesting because as we've discovered on our fairy tale journey, you're always looking for a moral, but the fairy fairy yeah. tales they don't really they're more complex than that. I mean, we've had blooming psychotic murderous chickens in one. So, oh, you know, completely, yeah. They're not moralistic. And it's fun watching Perot try and sort of sweat and go, oh, God, a moral. Um, How do I fit a moral in here? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's more what fables are for, really, I suppose. Absolutely. Listen to our Grim Fables uh, Patreon podcast <laughs> for more fables. Yeah, smooth segue. Well, there we go. So, yeah, that's sort of how Puss in Boots took shape historically. That's, that's interesting. And then I suppose the next big publication to feature Puss in Boots after Perot then may have been the Grimm's. Well, let's glide over the rest of the story from Perot to the present day. We'll just we'll quick we'll quickly sort of get a bird's a quick, eye view. A quick sort of ske- yeah, okay, great. Puss in Boots first made its way to Germany as a satirical play in seventeen ninety seven. The Brothers Grimm published their Puss in Boots in eighteen twelve, but it was erased. I'm guessing it's because of the similarity to Perrault's version. Right. Too French. We've seen that before. I think Fitch's Bird was the last one. If it's too French, they don't want it in their collection. And it's like that they'd collected it from an oral folk thing. It wasn't like they'd they got a copy of Perrault's book and gone, oh, this is good. We'll just sort of change it. No, absolutely. They did get it from an oral source, the Hassenflug family, but the Hassenflugs were of French descent. And it's the same reason they erased Bluebeard which we found in Fitch's Bird, our Fitch's Bird yep. episode. And they were, they were very much aware of Perrault's version as well. So I think sometimes they're just like, yeah, should we keep it? Should we not? Nah, let's get rid of it. Sure. The Puss in Boots pantomime was first performed in Covent Garden, London in 1817. No way. I mean, I might be naive here, and I am being naive here, but I didn't think the grand history of English pantomime went back that far. I think of it maybe yeah. as a sort of, at w- oldest, maybe a sort of Victorian thing. But that's that's old. That's a good point. We need to, yeah, I'm sure there's a podcast about the history of pantomime we can find. <laughs> it's got to be. That's got to You're be. right. I, that hadn't occurred to me. Oh, good point. Wow. Puss in Boots appeared as a character in Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty Ballet in 1890 over in Russia. Whoa. Let's not get bogged down in that. Okay. In 1922... We're into the 20th century now. Walt Disney released a 10-minute long Puss in Boots animated film, which was part of a series of animated films that were Disney's first ever films based on fairy tales. Oh, wow. Another short animated movie appeared in 1938 in the Soviet Union. Miyazaki, of Studio Ghibli fame, made a manga series about Puss in Boots in 1969. Wow. So this is this is probably yeah, quite a while before Studio he formed Studio Ghibli. That's cool. Antonio Banderas got involved in 2004 when he voiced Puss in Boots in Shrek 2, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'm not sure if I've seen any of the Shrek films. Have you not? No. So is that does Puss in Boots not make an appearance until Shrek 2? Yeah, yeah, he's not in the first one. Oh wow, okay. But he became a staple of the franchise, the Shrek franchise. Yeah. Earning his own spin-off movie in 2011. He had a spin-off film? Yeah, Puss in Boots spin-off film, mate. I don't think that was uh, Antonio Banderas voiced that, though. No. And I imagine for a lot of people, when you think Puss in Boots, you see that kind of... You see the cat from Shrek. I can picture it. He's kind of got the sort of Guy Fawkes hat, hasn't he? Yeah, he's kind of swashbuckling. 
Yeah. And uh, that's the journey of Puss in Boots from late medieval Venice to Antonio Banderas. <laughs> did you, did you try and make that rhyme? No. <laughs> Venice Banderas. Yeah. <laughs> that's the moral of this story. From Venice to Banderas, Puss in Boots remains. That's quite a remarkable history. <laughs> From late medieval Venice to Antonio Pantera. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, dear. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that. What a lovely journey oh. it's been. Yeah, and we've touched down in the present day. Fantastic. I'm feeling a bit queasy after all that pizza I ate in 16th century Naples. It was good though, wasn't it? Oh, it was so really good. There we go, man. Wow. What do you think? Score time. I love it. Me too. I absolutely adore that story. It's so it's good. Just, it's just... It's so, so good. good. It's so good. And in a way, this being a special episode and this sort of not really technically being part of the Brothers Grimm... Um, Official canon. Yeah, canon. I was going to use the word canon and I hesitated. <laughs> That almost takes some of the pressure off for me in terms of scoring it. Because there's nothing to compare it to. I just score it as I see it. Yeah. I'm going to give that... Straight in with the score. Okay. For any new New Year's listeners, we give the stories an arbitrary score out of 10 each for a possible score of 20. And I have a feeling Adam's about to go very high. Mm, Quite possibly. I'm going to give this one... Puss in Boots is going to get from me... Nine. Hey! It's, it's a nine. It's just a nine. It's a great story. Oh, wow. That's a whopper of a score. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of score I like to see. That's how we want to start the new year. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Start it with a bang. Come on. Uh, what's your logic? <laughs> what's my logic? Yeah, good. I knew you were going to ask that. Um, I mean, obviously, slightly biased. It's a cat-based story, so sure. I like that. But genuinely, for me... It's the, the the logic to the narrative, the the, the clever schemes, the, the way it mm-hmm. it works. And it's like a cumulative effect where every scheme is so clever, it just works. Mm-hmm. And it ends up bringing the, the, uh, the Miller's son sort of further and further up the hierarchy. Yeah. It's just great. It's just a great story. Yeah. And who doesn't love a cat in, in little boots strutting around? What is not to love Who ends that? up becoming prime minister? Prime Minister Puss in Boots. Exactly. It's just perfect. Yeah, I, I guess it's now your turn to uh, give a score. I mean, you kind of said it there. It's it's perfect. Yeah. The thing is, when I come to this, I've you know I've read it ten times, and that kind of yeah smushes my brain a bit. <laughs> but when I first read it, I was just like, "This is amazing," and I think the fact that it's sort of genuinely clever, what the uh, the sort of tricks are, is so satisfying. And on top of that, you have the iconic Puss in Boots. Yeah. Who really lived up to the hype. And sometimes you don't, these things don't live up to the hype. Yeah. And also, as you say, that there is a little less pressure here because we can be a little, uh, ten- we have been a bit tentative, a bit conservative with our scoring. Yes. 
But because this is kind of slightly outside of the main stories, we're a little freer. I, uh, yeah. And I remember saying at the beginning of series three, <laughs> like all the nines I've given in the past. Yeah. What I really meant was 10. 10. But yeah. I was too scared. Yeah. So this one, I'm thinking nine, which means. No way. I'm going to give my first ever 10. No. Give it a 10. I knew you were going to do it. I knew you were going to do I've it. I've given a 10, Adam. You've given a 10. You've actually done it. The absolute madman. <laughs> it, feels, it feels crazy. I feel reckless. But I'm doing it. I think it deserves it. It does deserve it. And now uh, it's the classic response of, you know, why didn't I do that? <laughs> no, you know what, though? I'm kind of relieved in a way that you didn't because now it's got 19 yeah, it, otherwise it would have 20 out of 20. Which would yeah. I would have agreed with, totally. But I yeah. think I almost like the fact there's still a little bit of cushion. Um. <laughs> 19 out of 20. I mean, thoroughly deserved. What a fantastic story and an incredible start to the year. I mean, we started out strong. Come on. Do you think I went mad there? Do you think that's justified? The, the thing is, I did use the word perfect, and immediately I was, think, I was thinking, well, I just gave it a nine, so it's not technically perfect. But, And then you said it was perfect and gave it a ten. So if it is perfect, yeah. you're absolutely justified in giving it a ten. Yeah, I think it's perfect for what it is. You know, it's a certain type of story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all different. Yeah. But I think for w what it does, it's just genius. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I love and it. It's a crime they erased it, to be honest, from their collection. Absolute crime. Because you don't, when you think Brothers Grimm, you don't think Puss in Boots. You think Antonio Banderas. What, when you think of the Brothers Grimm? <laughs> no, when you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, yeah, you don't think of Puss in Boots as creepy German forests like you do when you think Brothers no. Grimm. But, uh, no. I think it works. And they should have kept it. From a Miller dying mm. to his cat becoming Prime Minister. That's the arc we're talking about here. <laughs> that's the perfect arc. It's perfect. Isn't it any better than that? Wow, a mate. That's crazy. Highest scoring story. Nineteen. Exciting stuff. F feel good. Couldn't gone to a better story. I feel good about that. I feel very good about that score. Good. Good start to a new year. So then, that brings us on mm. to the current story poll. So for any new listeners, uh, just to explain. On our Patreon, uh, patrons of, uh, of any value from $1 a month upwards get to vote on every fourth story we read. So Matt and I pick a story based on the title alone each, and we put, put them against each other, put them to the vote, uh, and you guys uh, get to choose which one we're going to read out on the podcast. So we just closed the last poll, and the stories that people were voting on were The Godfather... And Our Lady's Child. So those are the two stories being pitted mm. against each other. No one knew who chose what. And the results are in. <laughs> and this is the first time this has ever happened. <laughs> We've got, slightly awkwardly, a draw. So an equal number of votes for The Godfather and Our Lady's Child. <laughs> The Godfather was actually ahead for some time until just recently, just before we had to close the poll for this recording. Yeah. Extra votes snuck in there and uh, evened up the score. It was literally one point ahead 
And then just before we close the poll, someone voted to make it equal. <laughs> Why are you yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's left us in a bit of a quandary. Yeah. And possibly what we're going to do in this instance is uh, normally it's my job on the podcast yeah. to um, to choose the stories based on the titles. So we were thinking, we had a little bit of discussion, and we think maybe I'm going to cast the casting vote, which you go, I know what you're going to say. It's unfair. <laughs> it's unfair. I mean... Abuse of power? Anyone? No? Yeah. Just throwing that out there? I, I th- well, yeah. Okay. It's probably fair. You are the story chooser. And, you know, very yeah. gracious of you a year ago to say, suggest that we open it up a little bit. I know. To be honest, I gave up a small piece of my own power. You did? What a, what a hero. Uh, yeah. Some say hero. So you might say hero. Yeah. I'm not going to put yeah, words yeah, in yeah, anyone's yeah. mouth. But okay. um, we are where we are. Yeah. And s- someone's got to make the decision, and I think it's it's got to be me. I'm afraid. So, so you're obviously going to choose your story. Come on, get it over with. So interestingly, I chose for the story poll Our Lady's Child, and Matt selected The Godfather. Now mm-hmm. uh, you're going to expect me to choose Our Lady's Child. Obviously, that's my choice. Well, you'd be mad not to. I'd be mad not to. Well, guess what? I'm going to choose The Godfather. What? Now, the reason behind this is I also want to hear this on the podcast, and I want, I selected it for the next round of stories. But then I had to scrub it out because Matt has selected it for the story poll. So, in a way, everyone's a winner here. So you wanted to hear it, but because I chose it for the story poll, you chose something else for the story poll. That's right. Wow. So, what you're telling me is you want to hear it, I want to hear it, half of our patrons want to hear it. The the world wants to hear it. <laughs> yeah, everybody's a winner. Everyone's a winner. Wow, that that's really heartwarming. Cause Isn't was, that a lovely you know, way to start the year? I mean, you're a new man, new year, new Adam. This is this is just how it, how it goes now. So magnanimous of me. I'm really impressed. This is <laughs> this is big news. So there we go. Winner of the story poll, the Godfather. So that means it's time to launch the next story poll. Adam, I believe you have the two choices ready. I do. And in no particular order, the choices for the story poll are Clever Hands or The Good Bargain. So that's The Good Bargain or Clever Hands. Excellent. Exciting choices there. Clever Hands or The Good Bargain. Mm-hmm. The choice is up to you, dear listeners. You decide. Fantastic choices. Well... We've had the Christmas episode, now we've had this little kind of uh, special episode. From now on, we're going to be straight back into our uh, cycle of stories. Yes. Next time will be... The Twelve Brothers. Looking forward to that. I cannot wait. What a way to start the year. Hope you guys enjoyed that unexpected special episode. And we'll see you next time in The Twelve Brothers. Oh, excellent. Can't wait. See you then. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash grimreading to find out how, and also see the range of benefits available as a thank you from us. You can, of course, email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at grimreadingpod, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook at grimreading. You can find us on podbean at podbean.com slash grimreading, and we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim.